At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Unstoppable, Bound in His Love, Freed by His Spirit, where we're journeying through what many call the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8, to uncover a more lasting force than hard work and a more enduring purpose than momentary success. My name is Jim Dalkey. I'm the campus pastor. If you turn to Romans chapter 8, I hope you, uh, no matter where you landed yesterday in the game, I hope you've recovered and you are ready for this morning. By the way, my sweatshirt does not represent my stance in the game yesterday. I should have thought better before I put it on this morning. Uh, my family grew up a lifelong Michigan fans, so that's what I do in football games, and I may switch other times, and you can call me a Fairweather fan, but I have no reason to root for either. Uh, I didn't go to either of the schools. So what's great is this morning, as I say, every time we play, we can come together in our united Christ-like manner and all root that Ohio State does not do well. And uh, all the Ohio State fans here, we're still praying for you to come to know the Lord. And um, it'll be fine. But man, I hope you had a good weekend. And uh, this is fun. Competition is fun. And it's good. And uh, man, it's, I think it's one of the graces of God that we have the beautiful things of sport. And uh, we can have fun in doing that and in participating in it. We're in Romans chapter 8 today. And it's going to be a fun morning. This morning we're kicking off a new series, Unstoppable, Bound in His Love, Freed by his spirit. And really what we're doing is we're just continuing in the journey of the book of Romans as we went through Romans 6 and 7, and now we're pivoting in Romans chapter 8 and kind of a new series as we just dive into chapter 8 over the next five weeks going up till Christmas. And honestly, I think that in the next couple of weeks you'll learn, if you don't already know, that Romans chapter 8 is maybe one of the greatest chapters in all of Scripture. And I say that in the sense that, man, if you wanted to make a commitment to make sure you were at church every Sunday, the next five weeks would be a great commitment. Because Romans chapter 8, I believe, really is one of the greatest chapters penned by the Apostle Paul for sure, maybe in all of Scripture the greatest chapter, and maybe the most significant in our Christian lives and our walks uh, with Jesus. And it's going to be amazing and profound as we see, and it's unveiled to us, that God does have this unbelievable, amazing power for us, but it's beyond ourselves and completely transforms our lives in and itself of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's lives or the Holy Spirit's impact in our lives. And you know, within God's word, there's, there's certain verses that unveil God's truth in such a poignant or powerful way that they become critical verses as followers of Jesus. And I believe that today we have one of those as we open up Romans chapter 8 in verse 1. One of those are one of those verses that I want to compel to you and I pray that we'll sink deep down into the depths of your heart and your soul, that it wouldn't just stay today in, in the, the, the categories of your mind, but it would sink down into your heart, into your soul, that it might impact you for kingdom movement. In verse 1 of chapter 8, I want to read it quickly before we continue. Listen to it for a moment. There is... Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ 
Jesus. Amen? I want to read that again. Let those words sink for a moment into your heart. Hear them one more time and allow them to impact your heart even before we open up the Word of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together before we open up God's Word. God, thank you. Thank you for the beauty of today, just another day that we have to experience your grace in breathing breath today. It's a day that you ordained before the foundation of the world that we would be opening Romans chapter 8 and the beginnings of this chapter for them to impact our heart and our soul. Today, God, would you do just that? Would you do it despite who I am today and my own failings this last week to represent you well? Would you use my mouth and my heart to compel your people to understand and know the great love with which you have for them? and the overwhelming power of the Spirit of God, you, Holy Spirit, in our lives to transform our hearts and our souls for now and to eternity. Would you help us, Lord, now as we open up your word? It's in your powerful name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today I want to unpack why this verse, Romans 8.1, is so vital for us. And to do that, we have to kind of Look at the book of Romans and see why it's so crucial for us in the entirety, really, of the book of Romans. And so um, why it's impactful for us, that there's no condemnation for you if you are in Christ today, that there's no shame or guilt or anything, that all of this, as we see here in the book of Romans, stems from this universal problem. If you're new to church, if you're watching us online, maybe you don't understand, but there's a universal problem within all humans and all humanity and that problem is sin. And the problem is, is there's actual condemnation that rests on every single human soul until they're actually in Christ. And it's funny, in all of Romans, Paul only uses the word condemnation a couple of other times, when, outside of this time, when he says, there is therefore now no condemnation. And it comes in Romans chapter 5, when he's referencing the reality that all people without Christ are in. In Romans 5, 16, he says this, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, that's Adam, for the judgment following one's trespasses brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. And then again, in Romans 5, 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, he's talking about Adam when he ate in the garden, now we are not born, uh, we're, not, we're not sinful once we sin after we're born, but we're born with sin, like a sin nature because of our father Adam. He says this, so one act of righteousness by Jesus led to justification and life for all men. And here we see, this is the crux of the issue in Romans 4, Paul, that we are all under condemnation because of sin, and Adam's sin, and our own. And that's a great way to start a message. It's super encouraging. But what's beautiful is you can't have good news unless there's bad news. And the bad news is that we're all under the sin that, that we are born into and the condemnation that comes with it. But the great news of the gospel is there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And all of these verses point towards this good news that we have in Christ that can be declared that we have new life in 
Christ. And so Paul wrestles with this idea in chapters 6 and 7 and how it relates to sin and the law. And now here in Romans 8, he has this decisive turn that brings back to mind the reality of what Christ has done in verse 1 when he makes this declaration stating the definitive plan of God and what is true in Christ Jesus, that there is now no condemnation in Christ for those who are in Christ Jesus. Excuse me. And Paul understands, helps us understand today, this is our big idea, idea. our new location removes our condemnation. I want you to think again for what Paul is declaring. For you today, if you're watching online or you're in this room, if you are in Christ, all of the judgment for your sin is entirely removed. Isn't that amazing? All of the brokenness, everything you've done this week, last week, in the future, all of it has been taken by Christ. I love, if you read Greek, which I'm not proficient at reading Greek, but when you study the first word in this sentence is actually no, emphasizing the reality of the complete removal of our condemnation in Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation. But if, in your, if you're in Christ Jesus this morning and you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, then you stand assured this morning. I don't care what happened this week, last week, the week before. Stand in your identity today. That there is no condemnation on you, but instead you are declared righteous by God. Man, that is something to be celebrated. Amen? That's why I come to church. I don't come to church because God will get mad at me because there is therefore no condemnation. I come to church because I want to be with the saints of God and declare that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, like we sang about a minute ago, and that now in Christ I have no condemnation. That's That's what makes me excited. A drummer doesn't make me excited. An electric guitar player doesn't make me excited. Even words of the song, even, only if they're declaring the fact that in Christ I'm a new creation and I have no condemnation. In that moment, man, I get excited. I want to sing to God. I want to praise God. Not just here, but when I leave. But the way that I live and function and operate. Man, if we would just let some of the truths of God travel 12 inches from our brain to our heart. How much more would it change the way that we live every single day? But Paul makes this definitive, declarative statement. And today, he wants us to wrestle with this. And so today, we're actually going to look at three reasons why there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So let's look at it again. In Romans 8, 1, we see the first thing. In Christ, the Spirit frees us. You are free by the Spirit of Christ. Look in verse 1. Therefore, there, therefore, or there is, excuse me, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ. In Christ Jesus from the spirit, excuse me, from the law of sin and death. You see what he's saying there? From the law of the spirit of life, for, excuse me, for the law of the spirit of life, Jesus Christ, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Amazing. Paul immediately follows up this declarative statement in verse 1 with this word for, and it signifies something special. It gives the reasons as to why this statement is actually true. He's highlighting the power of the spirit 
over the power of the sin, over the law and sin. He's highlighting here that the spirit of God is more powerful than the spirit of law that he's been talking about in chapters 6 and 7 and is now put forth in you, the spirit of Christ, as we'll see next week, that helps you to overpower sin and death and hell in your own life. And he's just demonstrated this in verse in chapter 7, excuse me, the law was powerless to save us. And actually, because of the law, because of sin, it actually hijacked the law and increased sin in each one of us. But actually, Christ has brought new life to us. This power is found in the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God and His power then is, is the liberating agent, if you can think about it that way. The liberating agent that breaks the power of sin over you and me, and actually frees us. This is the beauty. It frees us to live in accordance with God's ways and experience new life. Did you know that? Did you know that when you gave your life to Christ, God not only just saved you from the penalty of sin, but he actually saved you from the power of sin. I want you to hear me on that. Do you realize, has it traveled far enough in your heart and your soul from your mind of just saying, yes, Jim, I, I guess I understand that to believe, but has it traveled into your heart and your soul where it actually changes your affections and the way you do life, that God didn't just save you from the penalty of sin, that Christ came, he gave his life on the cross, he was your, in a moment we'll get there, substitutionary atonement, he took your place on the cross, he took away all your sin, shame, and guilt, Yes, but it doesn't stop there. He didn't just save you from the penalty of sin. He saved you from the power of sin. Now, that's more transformative. That's so that you can actually live life in freedom. You can actually live life not giving in to the ways of the world. You can actually live life not giving in to the fleshly desires that constantly have been coming after you since you were a young child. You see, it's a big deal to understand this, that we actually possess the Spirit of God living in us. And because of that, we're not just saved from sin. We're saved from the power of sin. And he, he changes and radically changes our hearts and our minds so that we can live more in accordance with the, with, with the ways of God. Man, I just want to ask this morning, if you're here or you're online, uh, we've, been, we've, been hitting this, we've been beating this drum for the last number of weeks. I wonder how many of you in this room are just wrestling with the power of sin in your life. I could teach every single week about it, but there's always, it will always be relevant. Because we as broken humans have, yes, been redeemed from sin, and we've been given the power over sin, but we still wrestle with it day in and day out, right? So when you think about your life, like, what does your life look like? Are you actually living, and I'll be talking about this a lot in this series, your identity. Next week, I'll talk about this quite a bit. If you read all of the epistles, I don't want to give away too much, but you read all of the epistles of Paul, almost every epistle starts at the first half. He's just telling you who you are in Christ. Who you are in Christ. This is your identity. This is your identity. This is your identity. This is your identity. And then the second half of the epistle, he says, now start living out your identity. Start living who you are. You are in Christ, a new creation. Now live like a new creation. You don't have to give in to the power of sin. Now live that way. 
And it's amazing and profound what happens when we adopt a new identity. It changes our perspective, our hearts, and who we are. So, man, I, I just wonder for you, as a follower of Jesus, over the next number of weeks, we're going to be talking a lot about the Holy Spirit in our lives. I grew up in a world where we talked about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but we really only interacted with the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit was kind of, and I'm not being crass, but it's kind of the, 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 the stepchild of the Trinity. And I feel as though many times within Christendom, the Holy Spirit is not the person of the Trinity that we interact with very much, although it's the, it's the person of the Trinity that is, is given to us for our lives to walk, to be our helper, to bring to light the things of God that's taught in our heart, to teach us, to empower us, and all that we do in our spiritual journeys, but yet it's the person of the Trinity that oftentimes we neglect. Now, I will say some of that is being scared, because the Holy, the Holy Spirit is many times used maybe or, or spoken of inappropriately. So people get scared of the mysticism maybe of the Holy Spirit. I think some people just don't know what it looks like, how it's involved, or what walking with the Spirit actually looks like. And I just want to ask you this week, before we continue on over the next four or five weeks, what's the role of the Holy Spirit in your life? Was the role of the Holy Spirit in your life only... That when you gave your life to Christ, theologically, the Bible says that it, the Spirit of God came into my heart and my soul and sealed me to the day of redemption. Is that it? Because that's awesome, and it's the good news of the gospel. But I'm here to tell you today that the Spirit of God did not only come into your life to save you from the penalty of sin. He came to save you from the power of sin and empower you for holy living. But what does that look like? Man, I, I wonder... Uh, Oftentimes, as I go through life, I go through seasons of health and unhealth, and uh, I'm always reminded, when you go back to the gym, anyone else, the first day, the next morning when you get out of bed and you walk like a newborn deer, and you're like, <laughs> what am I doing? I'm finally getting old, and this hurts a lot more. Um, and it's fascinating, because what happens to me is I always go back to the gym, and I remember my days in college when I put this many plates on the bar when I did uh, chest press. And so I go back to the same thing, and I try to go back to exactly what I was. And people that uh, oftentimes I see at the new year, they're like, man, I'm going to start going to the gym again and start eating healthy. So they go like, I mean, cold turkey. I'm going to the gym seven days a week, twice a day, morning, night, and I'm never eating a carb again in my life. And then two weeks later, they're eating a pizza, and they haven't been back to the gym. Because we start like we want to be like superheroes rather than starting with the bar. But oftentimes, if I went to the gym, I said, okay, I'm going to start light. We're just going to start going. And you just progress. And every day, it gets a little easier. It gets a little better. You start feeling a little better. You start feeling empowered a little bit more. Can I tell you that oftentimes is what we need to do as followers of Jesus, as oftentimes we are rough at following Jesus and we're not doing the greatest job at it. But if we would but just go back to the Lord today and say, Lord, today, I haven't acknowledged the Spirit of God in my life in months and maybe years. And today I just want to acknowledge that you are walking with me today. You are here for my help. You are empowering me. And today, Lord, I want a change of perspective to see you in my life. Would you show me in your life and tomorrow the next day? 
Just start with the bar. Rather than being like, man, God, I'm leaving this place and I'm never sinning again. Well, I can tell you, you're going to sin tomorrow. But what does the journey look like in your life? Because the beauty of it is when we put our faith and trust in Christ, not only did he declare us justified and removed all of our sin and shame and guilt and took the penalty of sin away, he also took the power of sin away. This is your identity that God has for you. Not only that, God has condemned sin in Christ. He's condemned sin. Look with me. In verse 3, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Amen? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the sin, or excuse me, in order that the, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, I think... The thing about Romans is many times you have to read it like two times to like, like, what did he just say? So, so let's just break this down for a second. The second reason he's assured that there's no condemnation, and for those who are in Christ, he declares here that sin has been condemned, that, that, that the, the, the powerlessness, he's, he's declaring the powerlessness of the law and highlighting the power of God in Christ, that the law is powerless and Christ or God in Christ has all the power. What the law could not do, God has done. This is the definitive statement of God in the text. That you and I, we are no longer under condemnation because of what God has done. A beautiful reminder in Paul's phrasing here that it is all done. It's taken care of. It's over. The gospel did what you could never do. The gospel did what I could never do. What did it do, though? What did God do? This, this is what God did. God flipped the script, as he always does, because us, instead of us, excuse me, being condemned, God has now condemned sin. Where, where, where before sin brought condemnation to us, now God has brought condemnation to sin through the work of Jesus. You see that? He, he flips the script as he always does, that we were to receive condemnation, but now sin is condemned because of what Christ has done. Now, I, I want to get in the weeds here a little bit, but it's helpful for you to understand why you believe what you believe. And, and it's laid out here. Paul beautifully explained what God has done to condemn sin. He, he said he did it by sending Jesus. So he sent Jesus to condemn sin. And he adds some key phrases. There's two key phrases here on how God condemns sin by sending Jesus. And this is of importance. These aren't small things. These are important for you to actually understand what Jesus is doing here. The first phrase is this, in the likeness of sinful flesh. He highlights the reality of the incarnation. So what he's saying is that, that Jesus was in human form, that what we're going to celebrate at Christmas a few weeks later from now is that Christ literally came in human form. He was fully human while being fully God. This is important. If that's not there, Christ cannot be our representative. So he's saying that Jesus came in human flesh. 
And Paul's kind of walking this fine line here to help us understand the reality of what Jesus has done as being truly human, but not being guilty of the sin, actually, personally. Paul's saying, he's highlighting for us in this second phrase, namely that Jesus was sent for sin. What does he mean by all this? This is what I want you to understand. In all of this, through Paul's deep theological terminology and what he's expressing, he's expressing this, that precisely in this text, he's, he's declaring that Jesus is the perfect substitute because of why? Because he was truly human and is able to stand in our place as a human representative, but by being truly God, his sacrifice is sufficient to cover all of our sins. Do you understand that? If that's not the case, you're in huge trouble. If that's not the case, we do not have someone to represent us. The point is this, is that Jesus came truly as a human being, put on human flesh, born of a woman, and now walked the earth perfectly as a human representative for us. But being still holy God, he is God with which can cover all of our sins as our sacrifice. This is vitally important theologically for us to have salvation in Christ, that he is the perfect representative. Are any C.S. Lewis fans out here? If you're not, you need to be. Seriously, C.S. Lewis is an unbelievable writer. Not only that, C.S. Lewis uh, had this amazing um, book and, I believe, movie when I was a kid. I read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Anybody else? Is awesome and some great, amazing pictures of God in those things, right? Uh, there is four in the story. There's four siblings that enter this magical world of Narnia, which is pretty amazing. And one of the siblings, Edmund, betrays his brother and sister and, and joins up with the evil side of things, right? With the White Witch. And because of this, uh, as a traitor, Edmund is actually sentenced to die or condemned to death under the Narnia law. Do you see any similarities here? But however, there's this lion in the picture, Aslan, who, who is the figure of Christ in the story, and he offers to actually die on Edmund's behalf, in his place. And what's fascinating is, is Aslan is taken to this great stone table, which symbolizes the law that Narnia was founded upon. And there it is, he is put to death. Now, however, the next morning, something amazing happens. And I just want to read from the actual writing. It says this. At that moment, they heard from behind them a loud noise, a great cracking, defeating noise, as if a giant had broken a giant's plate. And the stone table was broken into two pieces by the great crack that ran down it from end to end. And there was no Aslan. They looked round. There, shining in the sunrise, larger than they had seen him before, shaking his mane, for it had apparently grown again, stood Aslan himself. Oh, Aslan, cried both the children, staring up at him, almost as much frightened as they were glad. But what does it all mean? asked Susan when they were somewhat calmer. It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still, which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she had, excuse me, if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before the time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. 
she would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backward. And that is a great and profound image of what Christ has done for us in the text today. It's a beautiful image of what Christ did for us and his death and his resurrection in the breaking of the law, doing something that the law could never do and reversing the terms of death. Zaz Aslan, he became willing to stand in our place and die the death that we deserved because of our sin. And he broke the power of sin and the law. And he condemned it And he demolished it, and he put an end to its reign. And now in him, death itself is beginning to work backwards. You realize that? I often meet with people from this church and from outside the church that just know I'm a pastor. It's one of the beautiful things you get to do as a pastor is be a part of what's going on in people's lives. And as I meet with people that are often wrestling with particular sins, in those conversations, I often ask them a number of questions. One of them I'll ask is, what does your relationship with Jesus look like? The other question I sometimes ask to bring about maybe where they're at theologically or what they understand is, is this. If you continue to struggle with this issue or this sin, do you think God would welcome you into his kingdom? It's fascinating as I'm amazed how many people answer with a lack of assuredness that because of them wrestling with this sin, God won't welcome them into his kingdom. And the reason why I ask it is because it often reveals that people believe that sin is condemned by what they do, rather instead condemned by what Jesus has actually done. Do you realize what I'm saying there? That many people, I think, are still wrestling with understanding and allowing the gospel to go 12 inches from their head to the heart to understand that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you struggle, God has condemned sin, not through your actions, but through Jesus' actions and what he's done. One of the most freeing things that we can realize, namely, that the gospel saves us because of what God has done for us you, not what you have done. It's amazing. And man, if you find yourself this morning, whether online or here in this room, let me encourage you, put your faith in Christ. Look to Jesus, who's done the mighty work, only trusting him and what he's already done by sending his son, not in what you will do. I'm going to talk a lot more about this next week of this beautiful partnership in what we do in life. We usually go to one or two extremes. We go to the extreme over here, and I'll talk about this next week, and I'm probably giving away too much. Oftentimes we go to the extreme over here is that I just, man, it's all on me, and I'm just going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do more, and you keep failing. Or it's the other side. We're over here, and we just over here, we just let go and let God. The Holy Spirit's supposed to be making me more into the image and likeness of Jesus. Can I tell you, oftentimes when there's two extremes, often the truth is smack dab in the middle. No, it's not you and on you alone to to become more holy and conformed to the image and likeness of God. But it's not only on God and the Spirit of God living in you. It's the beautiful partnership of us working and depending on the Holy Spirit of God in you. You know what the first thing is? First thing might be just acknowledging the Spirit of God is in you. Might be the first thing is when your feet hit the ground tomorrow. Saying, Holy Spirit of God... 
What do you have for me today? What do I need to work on today? Or when you actually spend time with Jesus, if you're actually doing that, Lord, what do you want me to see, hear, or know today? What is broken inside of me that you want to, me, want to make beautiful today by the gospel? He's calling us to live holy lives empowered by the Holy Spirit. Lastly, look with me in verse 5, that in Christ we walk by the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. That'll preach itself. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So Paul here begins to expound the difference between those who walk according to the Spirit and those who are walking according to the flesh. And what marks a holy life is not perfection. Can I tell you that? It's not perfection. You will never be perfect outside of the next realm where we transfer into eternity with God. You'll never be perfect. It's not perfection, but a reason being in Christ and empowered by the Spirit is resulting for us in love for God and peace. That's what he's saying. It's not perfection. But how do we know if we're living empowered by the Spirit? How do you know that? What does that look like for you? Well, these verses start to begin to display that for us, that if we set our minds on these things. They're not saying this is how we fulfill the law. No, he's saying this is what a life that is empowered by the Spirit looks like. It's fascinating, in verse 5, points, Paul points to a key distinguishing mark of those who walk by the Spirit. We're going to talk more about this over the next number of weeks. It's this, that their mind and their life is set on the things of the Spirit. If you look with me in verse 5, what does it say? For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For Paul, if we're walking with Jesus, our minds are governed by the Spirit of God. We are setting our affections and our hearts and our minds on the things of the Spirit. This is really big for Paul. Can I ask you, as I don't have much time left, What is your mind set on every day? This is really easy for us to figure out. I mean, you can start looking at what your, what your time's most spent with, what do you think about most, what do you look at most, what do you consume most? And I don't like to beat this drum all the time, but like, man, if your mind and your heart are set like 20, 20 however many hours you have of open eyes every single day, not sleeping, and you're giving your mind and your heart hours and hours and hours to the things of the world and the flesh. And then you expect, in reading a verse a day, in 35 seconds, that that is going to set your mind on the things of the Spirit or Christ. You've got another thing coming. Can I tell you, the Apostle Paul doesn't just say this one time. He says this over and over again in Colossians 3 and verse 1. He says this, 
If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things of the earth. So he, he, he says it again. I don't want to... Romans chapter 12. He goes on to say, man, after he says all of this stuff that we're going through, he makes that transition to call them to live in light of their identity. And he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now you just look at verse 2. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. The renewing of your mind. Well, how do you renew your mind? I'll tell you, I don't know what else I can set my heart and my affections are that will renew my mind, that has actual power, that's alive and working according to Scripture, other than Scripture. I mean, I'll just ask you this morning, as followers of Jesus, what is your mind set on day in and day out? Like I said, it's not just about you doing it on your own, but it's not just about the Spirit of God doing it on his own and letting go and let God. It's in the middle with me setting my mind and my heart and my affections on the things of God and then allowing the Spirit of God to renew my mind and empower me for holy living. But what is your mind set on? Man, if your mind is just set on constant scrolling of social media, it will not result in a renewed life. If your mind is just set on gaining more and becoming richer or having more stuff and building bigger barns, your mind will not be set on the things of God. If your mind is obsessed with finding a spouse and you're just on dating apps all the time trying to find your mind and your heart will not be set on the things of God. And I could go on and on and on. But can I tell you, all of those things I mentioned are actually good things and okay things. But if that's all my mind is set on, the Spirit of God will be doing its best to transform me into the image and likeness of God. Constantly coming after me. But where real power comes from is that when I meet the Spirit of God in the middle and set my mind and my heart on the things of God and allow the Spirit of God to renew my mind and my heart day in and day out for holy living. Your destination, your destination, your new location removes all condemnation. And because of that, God calls us to live in powerful and profound ways. And he, if I can tell you today, has not just released you from the penalty of sin. He has released you from the power of sin, and he's calling you to live in light of that in holy living. And that is not on you. That is outside of you. Only that we would walk in obedience, partnering with the Spirit of God, that my mind and my heart would be set deeply on the things of God, that I might live more like the image of God in the name of Jesus. I pray it be so with you today. Today, if you're here and you don't know Christ, what I talked about at the beginning, if you're online, someone shared this and you're watching online today, you sit, if you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, in Christ alone, to save you, none of what you have done, you stand today condemned before God. And I love you enough to tell you that. But today, the Spirit of God is wooing you to place your faith and your trust in him. 
that you might enter into newness of life and be empowered to live a pleasing life according to God. Today, if that's you, I'd love to chat with you. Today, during the last song, you can place your faith and trust in Jesus. If you're online, drop a comment in the chat, in the chat feature and someone will reach out to you. And may we be people that are empowered by the Spirit of God, living lives that are pleasing to God. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for today for um, Romans 8 as we go further into the book of Romans and the power of Romans. God, you have so much more for us than just living lives that are free from the penalty of sin. But God, you want to empower us to live lives free from the power of sin that today someone in this room can say no and say yes to freedom, yes to newness, yes to holy living in partnership with you, Spirit of God. God, would you bring to life all of us, bring to light, excuse me, in our minds and our hearts, myself included, what our minds and our hearts are set on. That maybe tomorrow will be a new day that we can wake up and say, tomorrow I'm setting my affections, my heart, my mind on you, Lord, and that that might change. Renew my mind and my heart and my soul for holy living. Help people to know what the bar is today. If they could start with the bar. We know, Spirit of God, you're alive in this place and empowering us to live. Would you convict us, call us, and renew us today? It's in Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.